When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will, hopefully, help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read a historical fiction that's not about World War II, a retelling of a classic or a fairy tale, a horror from indie presses, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge with a bonus prize this year. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. Hello, and welcome to When in Romance, our favorite place to talk about romance, and I'm just going to say it, your favorite place to listen to us talk about romance and romance novels, romance things, and romance news. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording on Thursday, February 20th. This is episode 53. 53, Trisha. 53. Here we are. Uh, yeah. And I thought for a minute that like two twenty twenty 2020 might be like a cool date, but apparently I missed the cool date. That's like a palindrome and now it's not going to happen again for like no 1100 years or something like that. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. Because if, well, internationally, the dates work differently. And so anyway, I missed it. It's over now. You did, but two twenty twenty is still going to be cool because we're recording. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we're recording. It's good luck. It's going to be great. Um, We're excited to talk with all of you here in our post-Valentine's Day garbage romance takes world. We don't have to deal with it again for another 11 and a half months, uh, or at least not on a wide scale. Yeah. So that's exciting. That is. I'm feeling good. To 2020. I like it. Yeah. Um, We do have some garbage fires to get into, but before we do... Why don't we do an ad spot and then we'll just get it going. Yeah, exactly. Get it going is the right is the right way to put it. All right, let's do that ad spot then. Thank you to Book Riot for sponsoring this post and The Hand Cell, a vaguely new podcast. Get Booked, our podcast for personalized reading recommendations, has added a weekly bonus episode called The Hand Cell. Jen and Amanda, former booksellers, Take five minutes every episode to pitch you a book that they think you'll love with notes about what readers the book is perfect for. The hosts will be focusing on books they haven't talked about much or at all on the show before, so come hear about a new-to-you read. Regular episodes of Get Booked will continue to come out every Thursday, with bonus episodes of The Hand Cell coming out every Monday. Subscribe to Get Booked wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks to Jen and Amanda for giving us more books to talk about. And thanks to Book Riot for giving us Get Booked. Indeed. And if you're mad because your TBR is too long, now you know who to blame. Yep. Don't blame us. Exactly. Well, not yet. Give us like 45 <laughs> minutes and then maybe you can blame us. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, totally. Um, so as discussed, Jess, uh, so we took last episode off a little bit from discussing the disaster of RWA, the Romance Writers of America. Uh, But there have been actually some notable updates within the last week or so, and then even more recently within the last, you know, day or two. Mm -hmm. So my sense, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, because it is so hard to keep up with all of this. But one of the major updates uh, that I have seen in recent weeks is that the full RWA board resigned and special elections have been announced. I will confess this is a little confusing to me because I kind of had thought that 
most, if not all, of the board had already resigned. Um, but it seems like there were still some people who had not resigned. And so now they have resigned. This is, and this was again, this was about a week ago today, uh, the February 13th. And so I think these are, I think, again, I'm having a hard time keeping track. I think these are not new people because there was one major round of resignations. Um, there was one major round of resignations on December 20 something sixth or something 27th yeah and i and that there was a a a contingent of um women who resigned uh who were all women of color who Mm -hmm. stepped aside or well not stepped aside that makes it sound like they walked away because they were like this is a real mess and it's horrifying and we don't want to be part of it they said it much more eloquently than i did but i think these people who just resigned maybe were not the new people who replaced them? There were a couple who st- who were still remaining from the previous complete board, okay. and then there were the three I think who joined the board early this year. Okay, it was a a mix of both. Some right. who were brand okay, got it. So that was big. But then things uh, yesterday got even. I'm not going to say bigger, more <laughs> terrible. I don't know how you. I I don't know. How do you even describe what happened when the audit findings came back? I I just... So I've discovered that the audit findings came out not from RWA's announcement of it, and I didn't get an email because I finally got my refund. But I start I started seeing tricklings on Twitter of people having screenshot the audit or just mentioned mentioning some things that were... Not surprising, but still disappointing. (laughs) And so if you might recall, at the end of the year or the very beginning of this year, the acting staff, I guess, of RWA informed their membership and the public that they would be um, inviting in a law firm to do an independent ethics audit based on specifically the one event, the Courtney Milan Ethics Committee event, but also kind of also whether RWA as a whole, as an organization, as a staff, as a board, as a collective, is a pile of dog poo. And I feel like those are not questions that are easily removed from one another. Right. There's no way that an ethics... And this is, you know, the case with any organization. There's no way to look at one singular thing and ignore all of the context around it. Mm-hmm. Although some kind of way from the response of the people who have read it, who also have some familiarity with the events as they occurred, I will say that I have not read it in its completion. And also I was not present for any meetings or conversations that were had. The law firm that did the, the report also did not take into account some of these things. So it's hard to say. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's, so you and I were talking a little bit before we started. This just came out yesterday. It's a, I mean, it's about a 60 page report with a a few attachments. Um, So I think we will happily and, and openly give the disclaimer that neither of us have read this full report at this point. However, I read the executive summary. I read some pieces of it. And I, again, with the disclaimer that I haven't read the full report, there's a couple of points that come across here. I I think the one that sticks out to me the most is that folks are saying, or it's not folks, it's Pillsbury, the the company that did, Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman, um, that did the the audit. Uh, one of their major points is that their evidence does not suggest that the adverse finding against Ms. Milan was motivated. So I should tell you, so from this part on, this is a quote, the evidence Pillsbury reviewed does not suggest that the adverse finding against Ms. Milan was motivated by animus or bias against her. Rather, the outcome here resulted from deficiencies in RWA's policies and procedures, a failure to seek legal counsel when needed, and inadequate understanding by board members of their role and obligations under RWA's governance structure. End quote. 
that sticks out to me because I feel like that's one of those places where you cannot separate the incident from its context. Mm -hmm. There's no way to say whether a finding is related to bias when bias and discrimination and racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia, when there's so much implicit bias that is just ingrained in all of our cultures. Mm -hmm. So they may have an absence of concrete proof of that, but that certainly does not suggest that it is not a motivating factor. Mm -hmm. And it certainly does not dismiss the many, many allegations. And I mean, there is a lot of proof that came to light of institutional bias and racism in RWA in the days after the ethics complaint and the ethics findings became clear. So I don't know, to me, that felt a little bit like, how do you in a month or whatever, maybe not even that long, decide like, well, we don't have evidence of animus or bias. Yeah, and that's almost kind of like confirmation bias from the or the group that did the audit, right? Because, you know, I don't know anything about Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw, Pittman, LLP. Um, and I don't like making general assumptions about people from Texas. But the the law firm and RWA headquarters are both in Texas. And there is a higher amount of just sort of general baseline bias that exists in the average human who lives in the United States that is almost elevated (laughs) in some parts of the United States because of how those places were built from the ground from when they were colonized. And (laughs) this is a lot of stuff to say that I am making assumptions, and I admit that I am making assumptions. But I also know that there are things that people don't notice about their own confirmation bias when they're looking for things, especially if something is the norm for them. So if they come to something and assume that a woman of color calling something an effing racist mess, among other things, is being called for ethics for that by the organization that both the ethics complainant and the ethics complainee um, are members of, and the other person is not a woman of color, there is going to be some bias, because this is the United States of America. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, I mean, I don't want to summarize it too much. And and we'll link to the full report and we'll link, you know, in in a couple of places that, that maybe break it down. But it seems like their main finding is something along the lines of RWA members, you know, are not necessarily on the same page. And here's another quote. They they don't have a commonly shared understanding of the provisions and reach of the member code of ethics, uh, end quote. This idea of everybody's not on the same page and everybody doesn't have the same understanding. And the way they present it as sort of an organizational issue, as opposed to they don't have a shared understanding that may have to do with, frankly, what is ethical and what is not, or what is acceptable and what is not, is... I I don't know. It does seem like they're kind of ignoring what many of us understand now to across the board, RWA or otherwise, be related to institutional bias and racism. So especially when presented with so many other examples, which is one of the things that we talked about when we really got into this, you know, a couple of episodes ago, there are so many examples that came to light in the wake of all of this about Mm -hmm. what black romance authors were being paid to present on things or, you know, just different issues. I don't know. It it was just, I don't know that anybody's going to find this report satisfying, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The people who paid for it 
because they are being absolved of any official guilt. <laughs> and even then, I'm not sure if they will find it useful because it also revealed some serious underpants to the world about goings on during some of these meetings. And I won't repeat anything that was recorded as having been said, um, because I mostly saw screenshots of three and four lines here and there that I don't have complete context for. But there was loss on both sides here. Loss on the side of justice, because there was none offered, but also loss on the side of the people who requested the audit, because there's some stuff that happened that was said that reveals the actual personalities of some people who were in charge of the organization for a short amount of time or for a long amount of time. And um, like I mentioned, I think before we started recording, none of it is surprising, but it's still disappointing. Yeah. I think you did mention it before recording, but you also mentioned it during recording, which is why I wrote it down as a potential show note or show title, because as much of a bummer as it is, it's a great synopsis. And the only other two notes that I will maybe mention, one of them like almost more of like a side eye kind of way, but it's true. Apparently, um, RWA has heavily discounted their uh, conference registration rates. Oh, my gosh so heavily uh yeah if you if you register in like the first day or two that the registration is open like march 10th and 11th um instead of paying you know five or six hundred dollars you'll be paying 200 and uh you know and that's just for those people who are early registering and members there are a variety of of other discounts the, the point is just it is that there are many discounts. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that is um, less sort of like eye rolly, what are these people doing? And more of just kind of a bummer is that as many, many, many people have decided to leave the larger RWA organization, some of the um, local chapters and smaller chapters have decided that the, you know, the most appropriate thing for them is to disband, including the, uh, CIMRWA, which is the Cultural, Interracial, and Multicultural Chapter of RWA, which is, I mean, I get it. It's, I'm sure it's for the best. It's probably the right thing, but more than one thing can be true. And it's still sort of sad that this organization that has been so important for so many people in trying to build the romance writing community um, has decided that they have to find a new way forward you know the people who are involved have to find a new way forward so that's yeah i don't know it's just like kind of a bummer yeah yeah it is and you know there's there's stuff in the bylaws about um chapters not being able to separate from rwa they have to like completely disband and give all of their money to the to the parent organization um so which i think is why there are not as many of them who have yet voted to actually remove themselves because there's a lot of politics involved in it. Not just saying, we don't want to associate with that fire over there, um, but we have to because we're tied to them, almost literally. Yeah. So anyway, this continues to be sort of terrible, and hopefully things will get better and less harm will be visited upon many romance writers, and particularly the uh, women of color and the, and the queer community who are writing romance. So mm -hmm. fingers crossed that a year from now we'll be talking about something happier related to romance affiliate groups, Jess. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Let's let's we'll keep an eye out for what happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but in the meantime, there is some good news. Yes. The Ripped Bodice Awards for Excellence in Romantic Fiction were announced. You might recall when they were first announced back in June or July was when B and Leah Koch, um, the owners of the Ripped Bodice in Los Angeles, announced that they had partnered with Sony to do a 
completely generalized romantic fiction romance awards competition thing. Mm-hmm. I don't really is it is it a competition? I don't know. Like it's funny. I'm a judge. Well, I am no longer a judge. My jurying <laughs> is over. I'm so happy. But I I don't. I'm still bad at terminology. Like it's. I wouldn't really call it a competition because I guess the the books were still competing. But it's all about. It's all objective. So I don't know. This is a really long aside. But anyway, I think we've all learned a lot right now about. The fact that none of us know what's a competition and what isn't. Yeah. And so, you know what? <laughs> you just identify however you want, Jess. Regardless, it was, there are awards. There are awards. So they were the winners or the honorees. I think we've used both. I think it actually says like honoree on the, on the actual award, which is a beautiful glass engraved thing. Brick standing thing. Language. It's a it's a really important thing that I'm supposed <laughs> to be good at, but apparently I'm not right now. Um, and Trisha will figure out the word that I was trying to say within the next few minutes, I'm sure. There's like a statue or a trophy. It's great. Yeah. So um, there were nine books and seven authors honored um, with the Ripped Bodice Award, which offered them a $1,000 cash prize and $100 towards the organization of their choice the charity organization of their choice and it was oh man as someone who was a judge for this i never want to do it again i (laughs) loved it it was an amazing experience but unlike something like the ritas which i I, we're we're glad don't exist but you know they left a void that the ripped bodice is nicely filling there are no categories. Mm-hmm. Every juror, judge, whatever you want to call it, just had the time to read as much as we could. And I think I got up to about 150 romances in the span of 2019 that were released in 2019, because this was just for January to January of 2019. So Anything that was released last year was fair game, which means we had a very interesting collection of books first round, um, and we did um, a series of rounds of voting for our our preferred books, and then we, um, B and Leo, were very adamant that we, you know, have a care for anyone's concerns about representation or harm to readers or anything like that that any of the finalists had. So we we spent a lot of time working on the final list and we didn't actually see it until all of the all of the votes all of the words were tallied at the end. So the the interesting thing about when the awards were announced it was between 1 and 12 books or authors would be recognized every year. And the first year, it was nine. So we just, I don't know what all of the math looked like on that end, how we ended up with those nine. But there, it's a good nine, Trisha. It is a good nine. And I will, <laughs> I will read them off. Because your insight as a judge is so helpful and interesting, Jess, and I, and I have nothing equivalent to offer except to just read, read the list. Uh, <laughs> so the nine winners this year were Zenny by Rebecca Weatherspoon, Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure by Courtney Milan, Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert, which, side note, obviously we did a book club on before it had been announced, mm-hmm. uh, A Prince on Paper by Alyssa Cole, Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole, and Unconditional Freedom by Alyssa Cole. Side note, Alyssa Cole is the only multi-title winner, but I think that is not going to be a surprise to anybody listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the next three are An American Love Story by Adriana Herrera, Trashed by Mia Hopkins, and the Austin Playbook by Lucy Parker. So those are in no particular order at all. Um, I will also mention, because it is an interesting, I think, and worth noting thing, um, Adriana Herrera's, uh, as Jess mentioned, that every author was um, allowed to give, I believe, for um, each 
honor. <laughs> Alyssa Cole could confirm that for us, you know, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But not only did they receive their prize, but they were also um, offered an opportunity to give a $100 donation to a charity of their choice. So Adriana Herrera chose uh, the Ali Forney Center. Um, Alyssa Cole, for all three of her titles, selected Fair Fight. Talia Hibbert chose to support the Bradford Care Group. Uh, Courtney Milan chose to support Races. Uh, Lucy Parker chose to support World Central Kitchen. Mia Hopkins chose to support Homeboy Industries. And Rebecca Weatherspoon um, chose to support Planned Parenthood. So um, do feel free to check out those charities in addition to those titles. And I'll just say, you know, I you obviously were much more deeply involved in this, Jess, than I was. But every single book on this list, and I read, I think, probably six of the nine. Mm-hmm. I really, really loved. These are some of my very, very favorite titles of 2019. And and it's just such a interesting and, you know, I, I'm sure any list can be more diverse. But this one seems, boy, it's awfully diverse. And mm-hmm. it tells a lot of different kinds of love stories, you know, if you were to read the nine books on this list. And I, I mean, I think also, if I'm not mistaken, and I certainly could be because I didn't look this up. This is just based on my pre-existing knowledge. I think three of these nine titles are independently published titles. Mm-hmm. I think, and again, I'm, I could be wrong on this. I think Zenny is. I think Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure is. And I think Trashed by Mia Hopkins is. And that's, I mean, that's interesting and, and telling of how much good work is being done by romance in terms of independent publishing. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, Thirsty, that's the first Mia Hopkins book, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. That was Love Swept, and then Love Swept went under. Yeah. And she decided to self-publish Trash. Yeah, that's my my remembering as well. Um, And Rebecca Weatherspoon and Courtney Milan both regularly do some self-publishing. Rebecca Weatherspoon's next book is not uh, independently published, which we may be talking about later on. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, um, this is a great list, and it, it is sponsored in part by Sony, which is great that Sony mm-hmm. Pictures Television is getting involved in this. But yeah, this is, you know, for as much of, of a disappointing mess as the RWA stuff is, this is like a nice reminder that there is still some good, solid recognition of great authors and great books. And I think I feel pretty comfortable speaking on behalf of romance readers and the romance community and saying to you and and the your fellow judges just um many many thanks for doing this work because it's a lot of work to judge this kind of a thing so thank you for that i am i was happy to do it it was like i think i was in the parking lot on the way to my car from the dentists when i got the email from them asking if i would be willing and i think i just stopped walking because I'm that person who, like, checks my email everywhere, so if it doesn't look like I'm in danger of dying, my phone is in my hand and my email is open. Um, And it was just, it was such an honor to be, especially in the first batch, and I I love the work that B and Leah are doing um, for romance and for the romance community, and can't wait to see what this looks like in the future. Um, I think one thing that they did do was make it so that in the future... Um, authors cannot be jurors or judges. I can't remember. I think judges is, is what we were. Um, because like, and they can come after me and, and, um, stab me in the, in the back if, if I am breaking a cardinal rule here. But I will say that one of my first round picks was actually Olivia Waite's book, uh, A Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics. But Olivia was a judge this year, so her book could not actually be recognized. So in the future, judges will only be people who are on the periphery of the romance community instead of authors. I think that's a wise. I, I mean, that just gives, you know, more people more options. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But also, thanks to Olivia for her role in judging as well, as well as many. I think there were a few other authors maybe on the list as well who maybe didn't publish last year or whatever. Yeah, Co- Corey, um, I think, who publishes under uh, Sand West, wrote a couple books last year. Mm-hmm. And 
I feel like there's one more, but I'm blanking on the author's list. But yeah, it was a it was a great list of judges this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the next round or the, what the next group will do, because 2020 is already looking amazing, and my heart goes out to them for having to make all of these choices. <laughs> well, speaking of amazing books in 2020, let me do uh, one more ad spot, and then we'll get into some recommendations. Um, our second ad spot for this episode, huge thanks to Chasing Cassandra by Lisa Kleypas for sponsoring this episode. Railway magnet Tom Severin is wealthy and powerful enough to satisfy any desire as soon as it arises, which, side note, he should put that on his business cards. <laughs> it should be simple to find the perfect wife, and he is just determined to have Lady Cassandra Ravenel. But the beautiful and quick-witted Cassandra is equally determined to marry for love and has no interest in living in the fast-paced world of a ruthless man who always plays to win. When a newfound enemy nearly destroys Cassandra's reputation, Severin seizes the opportunity he's been waiting for. But there's one lesson he has yet to learn from his new bride. Never underestimate a Ravenel. <laughs> uh, if I am not mistaken, this is part of a, of a larger series, um, because I, I feel like I've seen and talked about the Ravenels before, and so mm -hmm. I need to get caught up. But if you are new to the world of Lisa Kleypas, you can jump in right here with Cassandra's story. So huge thanks to Lisa Kleypas and Chasing Cassandra by Lisa Kleypas for sponsoring this episode. Yes, thank you. And from what I recall, there's the Ravenels, and then there's the Wallflowers. And I think in either the previous book or the one before that, she pushes them together. Dun, dun, dun. Because there were generations and families and all of that that maybe lived in the same universe but didn't interact, and now they interact. Oh. You can't. You guys can't see this, but Jess is also pushing her fingers together now <laughs> to symbolize interaction. So. Interaction. But interaction. I am very behind on both series, so I can't actually tell you how that works. Well, maybe we'll have to get caught up. Uh, let me just take like a couple months off and just read. Not do anything else. Just just read. I, I support that decision. <laughs> Um, speaking of reading, <laughs> we are a book podcast. So we are good transition. Um, you and I had talked about maybe doing a few and we've done this before, but it's kind of a fun, I think, thing to do to to recommend, you know, February is the shortest month. If you are trying to meet your reading goals for the month, you might need some short books. So mm -hmm. we were going to maybe recommend a few short, you know, novella or whatever length romance, you know, novels for folks who are trying to trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I have read so many short novels and novellas in the past several months. Um sometimes I wonder if I'll ever read anything longer than 400 pages again. Wait, quick time out. Is your definition of short under 400 pages? Oh goodness, no. Okay. All right. I was but just But there was a time <laughs> when you know, three, four hundred page books were pretty common in my life, whether they were romance or something else. Mm -hmm. But it seems like I, 250 is sort of capping it. And even then, that's kind of long. Um, sure. One of the books that I might talk about later is actually a book that I haven't read yet, in part because it's much bigger than a lot of the books that I've been reading. So I'm kind of like pushing myself because I know I'll love it. Well, let's for now let's start with the short ones. What do you okay. what do you like this short, Jess? Well, um one of the few books that I've actually finished this month. If you read kissing books, you know I've been having some issues with starting and stopping. Is House Rules by Ruby Lang, and it's the third book in her series that takes place um in gentrified Harlem. Um and this one features two characters over 40 they were actually married in their in like you know over 15 years ago when they were both graduate students and just wanted different things in life and separated um and divorced and now they run into each other when they both um are looking for a new place to live in new york she's just come back after learning how to become a noodle master like she lived in Singapore and became a noodle master. Like, how cool is that? That's amazing. I know, right? And he has lived in the same apartment his dad lived in, 500 square feet of 
no space with all of his books and his piano and everything else, you know, for decades. And he's the last person who lives in the building who isn't a co-op or like a condo. And eventually all of the construction around him is getting so overwhelming. He's like, I need to move. Uh, So they run into each other looking at an apartment and don't end up taking that place. But she gets a call. He gets a call and it's his ex-wife saying, I found the perfect place, but I can't afford it on my own. Do you want to be roommate? So this is 40 plus year old exes being roommates in New York. Wow. How cool is that? It is cool. (laughs) And also my own personal nightmare. But also, I I have enough faith in Ruby Lang that it comes around to be just awesome. And I'm sure there's like a lot of tension and stuff there. So like, I'm with you. I'm just sort of like, Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't want to live that experience. But also, it's not like they had a like, contentious separation. It was just we can't live together anymore and like this won't work not like i hate your guts bye Mm -hmm. so that helps because they're not coming together as people who literally hate each other they just don't really know each other because it's been almost 20 years oh that actually i found really charming okay (laughs) now i'm on board (laughs) so yeah that's house rules by ruby lang and if you haven't read the previous two they are also great but I think this might be my favorite of the- No, this isn't the favorite of my three open houses. It's my favorite of the three because it involves a community garden. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, and I can vouch for the other two as well. I'm So I'm excited to get to this one. Uh, the first one that I will give you is a book called Team Fison, And it is, spe- it is called that in- intentionally. It's by <laughs> Chase Verity. And Fison is spelled P-H-I-S-O-N. Um, or you can find it in the show notes. So this is like this lovely, lovely, charming novella where there's a 55-year-old narrator. So Phil is the narrator of this book. He owns this restaurant and he's also a gamer. And so he, so I don't know a lot about video games. It did not matter. I was still able to keep up. <laughs> um, and he is playing this game. It's a multiplayer game. And so he ends up playing with this guy, Tyson from Georgia, who happens to be like roughly half Phil's age. Um, and so there is an age gap in this book, but as they start to sort of get to know each other, Tyson is just like the loveliest, most delightful kind nice human ever phil Mm -hmm. is great too but he has like some baggage around like oh am i too old i can't be doing online dating blah 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 whatever and this book is just about the two of them getting to know each other sort of remotely and then connecting both in person and on skype and whatever and it's short and it's it's quick but it then the dark moment this is one of my best things about it especially in a novella i feel like the dark moment can't be all that dark and this one isn't It's just kind of a Phil is in a place where he's like, I'm not sure. I think you maybe are not like, I don't think we can get over the age gap, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's just lovely and it works out. And um, Phil has this really lovely, great community of friends. And I, it's just, there's such a good balance in this book. I think a novella has to have a good balance of you want to know about the characters, but you can't get so deep into them that you can't wrap this up in 150 pages. And right. I think Chase Verity does a really good job of of that balance. And it's a quick read. You could read it in one sitting. Um, so again, that's Team Fison, P-H-I-S-O-N, by Chase Verity. It is lovely and delightful, and everyone should read it at the end. I agree. Everyone really should read it. I, I love that book. I have the sequel but i don't remember if i've read it i think i have i think i did it's great too yeah it's like a holiday book right yeah team Fison forever maybe or something like that oh that sounds adorable it's so great um so another one that i want to mention is actually another one of those books you know i was talking about extended proximity instead of forced proximity this is baggage claimed by Alexandra Warren. And it's it's a shorter novella. It's like 85 pages. Um, but so Ryan, who is, it's, it's a dual narrative. She um, walks out of her birthday party um, and gets on a plane because she thought she was getting proposed to and she ends up getting dumped. 
So you know that meme where it's, where it's like, I, I said the wrong thing to somebody once and I got in a cab and, you know, started a new life in an, in a new country. It's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of has that feel because she just like, she's still in her party clothes and she like goes and buys a plane ticket to wherever the, the person wanted to send her. Mm -hmm. And she ends up talking to a guy who she'd seen at the airport in her hometown and who she ran into again um, at a hotel in the new place that she landed. And they kind of hit it off. And all of a sudden, they're spending a lot of time together, um, starting out with, of course, a nice evening, because the best way to get over getting dumped is to have a really good time and <laughs> is to have a nice evening just <laughs> to have a nice evening uh, apparently today's the day where i just don't want to say like and then they have sex even though that's <laughs> obviously what happened <laughs> so it's ryan and will who doesn't really tell her what his name is he's like just call me will and it turns out he's like this really wealthy guy he's done really good for himself and he just sort of puts her up for a few days and they get to know each other and have like an instant connection that just builds into something more and more and more. And then read the rest to find out what happens. I will say that this this was kind of a a surprise twist ending, but there's still it's still a romance novel. So you know I wouldn't steer you wrong because I believe very strongly in making sure that a romance is a romance. Um, but there, there is sort of a, a little like jolt towards the end that is like, wait, what? What is happening? Um, but it's really well done. And it's not the first Alexandra Warren book that I've read, but I haven't read much of her stuff. And that was, that was like, okay, now I need to read everything that she's ever written because she's amazing. So yeah, that's baggage claimed. Excellent. I was writing it down because anything that has a surprise twist, I am here for. <laughs> I will do a quick rec because I think we recommended it before of Unsolicited Duke Pick by <laughs> Nico Russo, who is great and has, I, this is, here's the thing I like about Nico Russo. Like he's, so he's a, a male author who is married to um, Eva Lee, who is a female romance author. And it's, I feel like it could get very easy to be a male author in this field and want to have cookies for being not terrible, right? Like, I think you could have a thing where you were just sort of like, oh, look, I write feminist romance. And I don't think that's why Nico Rosso writes romance. I think he writes it because he wants to tell good stories. And the only stories that he's willing to tell or interested in telling are feminist and inclusive and interesting. And that's the thing, like you could this author could have literally any name and do anything and it would still be great. So anyway, um, this book is about a painter who has been sort of blackballed by the community for very, very unfair reasons. And so Thomas, who's the Duke of Lighthorn, who commissions her to essentially paint a, uh, well, if you were getting an unsolicited pick, that part of your body. So I am also <laughs> Jess, apparently in the, you know, uh, field of not, I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to not get our explicit rating today. So um, <laughs> he has to paint what they call uh, on, in the summary, a very private part. Uh, and it <laughs> sounds super gross. Like who, what kind of dude would ask a painter to do this with good intentions, but he actually, Thomas actually does have very good intentions. And um, the entire book is, is very, focused on sort of the power dynamics and and very conscious of the power dynamics between these two people Mm -hmm. and the sort of almost reluctant on both sides, capital F feelings that develop for both of them. And so, uh, again, it's, it's a, it's a quick book. It's 130 or so pages. And, um, I think this is another one I read in in one sitting and it's just kind of just like, it's a lovely light and fun book, but also there are serious elements in it. It does not in any way um, ignore issues of power and consent. And I think that's really important. So that's Unsolicited Duke Pick by Nico Rosso. Excellent. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you. I didn't write it, but I still like it. (laughs) Do you have any more short books, Jess? 
So I just want to mention, if you're really into trying a new author and you haven't read Charlotte Stein, to try Taken. It is not a book that I would expect myself to pick up and devour, but it was so incredibly compelling. So the book takes place almost completely in um, a, a bookshop that um, focuses on rare and antique books. And the um, the book bookseller slash owner of the bookshop is, you know, this giant bear of a man who is also very, very nerdy. Um, and the female protagonist is caught when her friend, who isn't really a friend, she's more of an acquaintance, decides that because the bookseller yelled at her once that she was going to vandalize the shop with fire. So I was like, wait, what? Um, but it turns out, you know, she was like, what are you doing? Like, she's, she's not actually involved in this plot to set fire, but the friend gets away and she gets caught and the bookseller decides to handcuff her to the bed in his basement while he calls the cops. I mean, as one does. Um, and then decides not to call the cops. Yeah. Uh, sounds, ugh. If I had a dollar just for every time. I know, right? So here's the thing. He absolutely hates himself for doing this. And he's like, oh my god, I'm the worst person ever. I have a girl handcuffed to my bed. What is going on? Um, And she's kind of like, well, I mean, so I'm handcuffed to your bed. What are you going to do to me? And it's it's like a weird dynamic from the beginning, but it's also a really great dynamic. And that's where I'm going to stop because there's so much that happens in very little time after that. Um, so that is Taken by Charlotte Stein. And I don't think it applies to the next category, but if it does, I will figure it out in the next few minutes. <laughs> uh, so the other category we're going to do is books that would help you meet the Read Harder Challenge for 2020, which you might remember from the pre-roll spot that we did here today. <laughs> um, so I don't know. We can maybe we'll just do one or two of these and continue to do them throughout the course of the year because folks have, you know, Read Harder Challenge all year long. So uh, the book that I will do here is one that applies actually both to the short book category. And also there's a category in the read harder challenge that is, uh, now I'm looking for it. It's a, it's a short sci-fi book. Oh yeah. A sci-fi fantasy novella under 120 pages. This one doesn't really have a page number because it's ebook only. I think, Ooh, actually maybe it's 134. So maybe it doesn't apply i don't know i kind of feel like we'd probably give it to you <laughs> the, the novella length in this is kind of weird because that's definitely not as long as many novellas that i have found yeah so i i mean i think maybe they give it to you so anyway the book is called <laughs> the heart is a universe it's by sherry thomas who we've talked about before and i she did this as if I'm remembering this right, she did this as part of a collection of novellas that um were sort of uh unknown author novella so it was like maybe six and you knew who the six authors were but you didn't know who had written what so once it became clear you know eventually they revealed who wrote what it became clear that sherry thomas wrote this book um the hardest universe which is it's essentially a book it's a sci-fi book about uh a remote planet where there's a little bit of a hunger games element that in order to sort of satisfy the gods who rule this planet every 16 years someone has to be identified as the chosen one who will mm -hmm. 16 years later sacrifice themselves to the gods who run this planet. Mm. And so Vitalis, who is the current chosen one is about two and a half weeks away from being the person who has to sacrifice herself. And then uh, a prince of the universe, Aelion proposes to her on the first night that the book takes place. And she's sort of like, do you understand that I'm going to die in 16 days? Mm -hmm. He's like, yep, <laughs> I do. I'm still in. Uh, and so you find out too, that he has, um, he's living with a variety of disabilities. And um, so there's a lot going on between the two of them. It's a surprisingly complete story for being as short as it is. I will tell you uh, the conclusion and resolution does happen relatively quickly. Like that's 
sort of a thing that I think when you build this much into a novella, um, it's just part of the reality, but it's a great, great book. And it's another one that you could read in one hour or two sitting. And that's The Heart is a Universe by Sherry Thomas. Excellent. One book that I have applied to my Read Harder um, tab on the reading log spreadsheet, if you happen to have that. Um, I actually think I broke the spreadsheet with this before I figured out how to fix it again, <laughs> um, is White Whiskey Bargain by Jody Slaughter. And it has a rural setting, a very rural setting. Um, it's actually like, it is an Appalachia book. And you might be surprised when I tell you that the protagonists of this book are both people of color because Actually, there is a large population of non-white people in the hills of Kentucky. <laughs> Very true. Um, and just in that entire mountain belt, because there are a lot of people people of color everywhere. Especially if it's a place that used to be a slave state, because at one point the population of Black and brown people was larger than the population of white people, which is uh, that's that's a completely different podcast. Maybe I'll maybe I'll start that one someday. But anyway, so back to White Whiskey Park. <laughs> um, well, and realistically, you should be more skeptical of Jess's description of it as a mountain belt uh, <laughs> than as it being inclusive of a variety of different races of people. My brain went to um, Bible Belt. But also no, no, no. mountain range. To be so. fair, what people think of as mountains in, in the Appalachian part of the country and what <laughs> people think of as mountains west of the Mississippi are just very different. I mean, so. this is true. I live in Arizona. I understand. It's true. <laughs> and these are the low mountains west of the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, not but to anyway. interrupt you. That, that, so. But anyway, that's where your skepticism, the physical geography is where your skepticism should lie and not in terms of who actually lives there. <laughs> In the hills of Kentucky. Let's just say that. Thank you. <laughs> so there are two people, uh, Anne Hawkins and Javier Meza, and they are members of rival Moonshine family. Yes. Yes. And they um, have to come together as families because there is a newcomer who is trying to take them both out. Um, so. Um, even though Javier isn't the leader of the, his moonshine family, he is the reigning prince. And so Hannah, who has just taken over from her mother, who's recently died, um, and Javier's parents make the agreement that they will join by marriage, um, to be a united front against this new threat. Um, and when I say threat, like people have been beaten up, they've been shot, they've been kidnapped. Like there's some oh serious, there's some serious justified stuff happening in this book. Um, if you have like some serious sons of anarchy stuff happening <laughs> right. in this book. <laughs> um, so, you know, they join together and they are completely marriage of convenience. They, you know, they, they do sort of have an unofficial contract on the fact that you know, they won't cheat on each other and eventually maybe they'll decide to have children. So maybe they'll have sex, but then they actually realize they're attracted to each other and things sort of oh, go no. off the rails. So there's, Ugh. there's multiple stories happening here. There's the, the two of them figuring themselves out and figuring out how to be part of a couple. And then there's all of the stuff happening with the moonshining organization. Um, so it's, it's lots of fun, but also very serious. Um, so if that's your thing, check out White Whiskey Bargain by Jody Slaughter. All right. I'm going to give you just like one very fast recommendation because I'm only halfway through and Jess's rural setting, um, prompt made me realize how great it is. So, uh, <laughs> A Cowboy to Remember by Rebecca Weatherspoon is a, uh, cowboy series. That is set in California featuring, again, non-white characters, which is kind of amazing. And mm -hmm. there's an amnesia storyline. 
And the person who has amnesia is a culinary star, a la, like, top chef. <laughs> and uh, they are childhood friends who, because Evie gets amnesia, like, her her close friends call Zach Pleasant and his brother to be like, you're the only family that she has listed because her family is, is gone. It's – I'm already all the way in, and like I said, I'm only like a third of the way through. So uh. that's A Cowboy to Remember by Rebecca Weatherspoon, which I have a feeling we will be talking about more. But in yeah. the meantime, it is a California rural setting, but it's a ranch, and so it counts. <laughs> and I will I will defend you to any of the book right people who tell you otherwise. So um so feel free to use that one on the read harder challenge. I totally support that. I absolutely support that. Another one that I think is also a category that uh Trisha has a book in, um, because we apparently there are only so many of the categories that we can really apply. Um, but I will be seeking out more in different categories as the year progresses, so keep an ear out. Um, but The Good, The Bad, and The Dad by Jackson Knight is one of the most adorable books I've read this, this year so far. And it's the third or fourth book in, um, the, the Fairyland series, but you can definitely read it on its own. I can't remember if I talked about reading the first book in this series, um, but it is a theme park series. Like, it's basically Disney. And the good is a cast member who is a prince. The bad is a cast member who is a pirate. And the dad is the father of the most adorable young child who loves going to the theme park on a regular, more than weekly basis. Sure. <laughs> like, I, I can't even imagine going to Disneyland, like, more than once every few years. But there are people who go so much that their season passes are actually worth it. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you live in LA, or I guess if you live in Orlando, please explain to me how that works. Because, how? But, anyway, going back to the good, the bad, and the dad. <laughs> um, it is a um, polyamorous man-man-man. <laughs> a book and one of them is a trans man and they are all very hesitant to get into anything together because it's mostly um two of them who are really interested in the dad um but find that they also really like antagonizing each other so there's that element to it as well so it's just it's a it's a lot of fun and the whole series is a lot of fun and um you should check it out but definitely that one if you're looking for a book about a single parent well and i will hold my others because i think we are pretty much at time and also sorry I think, oh i i think i speak for all of us when i say please don't apologize for <laughs> recommending a polyamorous book set in the Disney arena. <laughs> I think that's basically what all of us need at this point in our lives. But I do think we can, I, I, will, I will hold my others and, you know, I'm sure that we will have more. We can keep doing this all year long. If mm -hmm. you are not taking part yet in the Read Harder Challenge, please do feel free. Um, you know, we, we gave you the, uh, the web address at the top of the episode, but in case you need it again, uh, it is, I'm looking it back up again, uh, bookriot.com slash read harder to get the full yep. challenge task list. Uh, and we will, I'm sure, pop back in with some more recommendations. But in the meantime, hopefully you found either a short book for yourself or a read harder book for yourself that fits what you're trying to do this year. Yes, absolutely. And you also acknowledge Trisha and her, her wonder in not only, you know, reading some really great books, but making sure that we don't go so over time that we both get sternly disappointed looks. <laughs> from 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 afar. And more more than that, just that you don't all just give up on us because you're like, <laughs> this is too much. Can't do it anymore. Or or that our, our lovely sound editor Jen is not like, you guys, I have I have a life. I have I have things to do in my life. 
so we, as always, we are super excited to talk with all of you. Please don't hesitate to let us know um, what you thought of the Rick Bodice Awards, what your favorite books were of 2019. We are happy to hear that as always. Uh, if there are books that you are reading that are romance that fit for the Read Harder Challenge, we'd love to hear those too. Or what are your favorite short books, your favorite romance short stories and novellas? Yeah, let us all know. And you can let me know on the socials at Jess is reading all one word on Twitter and Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram. I am at Trisha Haley Brown on both or you can as always send us a note uh, when in romance at bookriot.com. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to rate and review the podcast. And in the meantime, happy reading, everybody. Happy reading. <laughs>